Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Gonna be a little bit longer today. Word of warning, actually not super long, but here's what I want you to do though. Uh, get something to write with because I'm gonna blow through some stuff and I think this is going to be very valuable in this series as we talk about old to new and what that means. And I believe this is kind of setting us up for receiving something new that, that Jesus promised us is his spirit, that when he said, when I leave, it's gonna be to your benefit that I leave. And, and we're gonna get there, but I'm gonna take our time in getting there. If you were here last week, come on, how about that word from Will? Man, what a great word. And can we celebrate the fact that I think 60 people got baptized? Come on, let's go. Awesome, awesome. I am gonna dive right in. Luke chapter five, if you have your Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, well, you should feel bad. No, I'm just kidding. You have the, the biggest Bible of all. It's gonna be up here on the screens on the side. And, and before we dive into that, can we welcome everybody joining us online? I never wanna forget you guys. We love you, and we're so grateful that you're tuning in to worship with us. We know that you are at home or wherever you are opening up God's word as well, and you're just as much a part of this family. But in Luke chapter five, let me kind of set this up for us. Uh, Jesus is, is explaining to people about some of the frustrations that people are having with him, if that makes sense. He's kind of acknowledging the fact that they are, are frustrated with him. And here's kind of what, what just went down is a guy by the name of Matthew, who is a tax collector, who is the, the scum of the scum of the earth, encounters a guy by the name of Jesus, perhaps you've heard of him, uh, and he's walking by and he tells Matthew, hey, come and follow me. And everybody's watching this going, what? Like, you can't do that. Like, this is the scum of the scum of the earth, the tax collector. In fact, the Bible lists categories of sinners. They say sinners and tax collectors. Like, they're the worst kind. They're the, they're the people that would extort uh, money from their own people. They sold them out in order to make a buck. And Jesus just looks at Matthew and says, hey, I want you to follow me. And Matthew abandons everything. Uh, he leaves his table right there and he follows Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus does with this guy named Matthew, which you should know something about Jesus, he never does anything arbitrarily. Everything is with intention. The first thing he does with Matthew is not say, hey, you need to go to Bible training school. Or you need to, you need to get some stuff worked out in your life. Or you need to, uh, he doesn't give him a stern talking to, right? He doesn't give him a divine time out, so to speak. You know what the first thing he does is? He goes to his house and has a party. Isn't that awesome? Don't you love Jesus? He goes to his house, he throws a party for not just Matthew, but also his friends. And who do you think were the friends of tax collectors? Other tax collectors. Like nobody else wanted to be around him, and so he throws this party, so all these guys are there. And again, because Jesus does nothing arbitrarily, he's up to something. And what we call in modern terms is he's up to grace. And the people looking on and watching on, like grace is that thing that we don't deserve. Grace is that thing that, that gives us the, the fuel to become all that Jesus wants us to become in our life. And, and he's giving him this grace and, and he does it in the story of the prodigal son, which is kind of you know one of my favorite stories in, in the Bible. The, the rebellious son leaves and he comes home and his dad doesn't give him a, a lashing. He doesn't give him a talking to. He doesn't you know, you know, make him do uh, you know, extra work or whatever. He throws him a party as well. It, it's the world that doesn't understand this kind of grace. The, the, the big brother in that story didn't understand that kind of grace. He's out in the backyard pouting, but in our story with Matthew, the religious leaders are fired up mad about this. They cannot believe that Jesus would do this. It was so unorthodox for a rabbi to talk to a tax collector. It made him unclean. It made him unworthy of, of worshiping in the temple. In fact, they thought Jesus would do irreparable damage to the brotherhood of priests by talking to this guy, but Jesus comes and says, I wanna come to your house and I wanna break bread with you. I wanna throw a party with you. And because these guys don't like it, the Pharisees, they start talking to each other. In fact, the Bible says they're whispering to one another. But since Jesus is the creator of ears, he overhears them. Right, we've talked about that before. He created ears, he invented hearing, and so he can hear whatever. And so he says to them, hey, 
Who needs a doctor? The healthy or the sick? And you've heard this before, uh, many of you, and, and these guys are kind of backed into a corner, and so they have to respond, and I imagine begrudgingly, they're like, oh, the sick, of course, the sick need a doctor. But they're still mad at Jesus because they can't, they can't understand it. They don't like this type of grace that he's showing. They can't even wrap their mind around this kind of grace that Jesus is showing, and Jesus is trying to show them practically what this new thing called grace is about. Now, a lot of times that's where we end the message, where Jesus says, you know, who needs the, the sick, or, or the, a doctor, the, the, the healthy or the sick? But this is where we're going to pick it up, because he continues, and he explains a story. In Luke chapter 5, verse 33, if you're there, say, let's go. They said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, John's disciples, this is the, the John the Baptist, speaking of, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours, they go on eating and drinking and partying, and here's Jesus' response to that. Because what on paper looks more godly, praying and fasting or party time? Not a trick question. Praying and fasting, right? If you wanna look godly and appear godly in front of people, tell people about how much you pray and how much you fast right? Don't, don't talk about hospitality. Don't talk about celebration. Don't talk about hanging out, you know, with, with people. But both, can I tell you something, can be divinely beautiful. Both things, praying and fasting and also partying and celebrating. Like, they both have a, a divine beauty to them, but there is a rhythm to it, and they don't understand that. They're saying, man, you're just a drunk like these other guys. You're just, you know, you know, partying, you're this glutton. And here's Jesus' answer. He says, can you make the friends, somebody say friends, friends of the bridegroom. See, I love the fact that he is already calling these guys friends, these sinners, friends. Don't you love the fact that Jesus is a friend to sinners? He's calling them friends of his. Can you, can you make the friends of the, the bridegroom, he's the bridegroom, fast while he was with them? Of course not, he says. But the time will come, make no mistake about it, when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And he's saying when that happens, that's gonna be, that's gonna be a sad thing, that's gonna be a difficult thing. But listen to what he says, because again, there's a rhythm uh, to the, the kingdom of God for things. He says, then, once they, he you know, leaves them, then they'll fast. In other words, there's an appropriate time for that, but it's not while I'm here. It's not while I'm with them, because while I'm with them, I'm gonna show them what it's going to look like to be together for eternity one day in heaven, that we're gonna, we're gonna be together, we're gonna be celebrating, because you do know that fasting is fighting. Fasting's a type of warfare, and so he says, hey, while you're on this earth, yes, you're gonna have to fight some battles. There's gonna be some spiritual battles that you're gonna fight, but I'm trying to show them that one day all those battles are gonna be done. It's all gonna be won. We're gonna have victory. There's not gonna be any of this. We're just gonna, we're gonna party. We're gonna celebrate. But in the meantime, he says, that's what we're going to do because I'm here with them right now. And eventually I'm gonna go away. Right, and, and, and then they'll fast, but they, they wouldn't get it. They couldn't wrap their mind around it. And Jesus knew that this wasn't just a problem with the Pharisees. He knew that this was an issue of human nature because how many of you know we love structure? We love systems. We love processes. We love you know, rules and regulations. We love, we love you know, because those things bring us safety. Those things bring us, bring us comfort. And Jesus came and he says, I'm here to break up some of those systems. I'm here to break up some of those, those I'm completely going to redefine right, some of those structures that you've had in place for millennia now. And so he tells them this parable to help them understand. In verse 36, he says, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. In this culture, they understood that. He's like, that's dumb. Like, you don't do that. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the old one will not match. The patch from the new one will not match the old one. And he's talking about, you know, patching up a fit. You know what a fit is? It's an outfit for all you older people. That's what the kids are calling outfits. He's, a, he's saying a fit. But if you got this fit that you really like a lot or you got this pair of jeans that you like a lot, right, if they start to get torn and ripped and old and you take a new patch, 
and you put it on there, well, your, your genes have already done their, their shrinking, they've already done the pre-shrink kind of thing, and you put a new patch on them, what's gonna happen? When you wash it over and over, that patch is gonna start to shrink, and it's gonna start to rip and tear and pull away, and now the garment's gonna be worse off than it was prior to having put that patch on. He's like, this is, you know, patching jeans 101, you know, kind of talk. He's saying, I, you guys understand this. So either, you know, keep the jeans the way they are or, or keep the, the old blanket or whatever it is that you want to patch the way it is, right, and appreciate it for what it is, or let's talk about something new. He's saying out with the old and in with the new. Jesus is trying to show them, hey, the old covenant is starting to fade out because I'm bringing this new covenant. One was founded on the law. This one that I'm bringing is gonna be founded on grace. One was founded on, on rules and regulations and procedures. This one that I'm bringing is gonna be founded on un adulterated love in ever-increasing kinds of forms. It's this new covenant that I'm bringing. And I picture them not understanding it because he, he's gonna launch into another example. But here's, here's what he's saying, and this is, this is a broken analogy because, you know, I'm, I'm human, I'm broken, but it's the best one I got because I'm a dad. Um, my son, Wade, when he was an infant and a toddler, uh, had a tag blanket, and this is it right here. This was his blankie. And he loved his blankie. He went everywhere with his blankie, all right? And some of you had something like this. You had a thumb that you went everywhere with, obviously, it's attached. Or you had, you had a binky or a passy. You know what I'm talking about, parents? You had something that you used for safety and security and comfort. Wade had the, the tag blankie. And what he would do is he'd take these tags and he'd put them up to his nose. And he's gonna kill me for doing this. But he would just kind of sniff it. That's the noise he would make. That's disgusting. I don't know, but he'd just he'd sniff it. And so he had a tag blanket. Um, Jake had like a, a pacifier. Park had a pacifier. Gray, you know, my little one when he was little, and he still is little, you know, he had a, a pacifier, which we called a Mimi, a Wubbanub. His Mimi, his wolf, his bear, his blanket, his kitty cats, his, he has, he's, we just gave up on him, just so you guys know. <laughs> just take this, try this, just do whatever. And I know you guys realize this every time I mention one of my boys' names from the platform, I owe them $5 because here's the reason why I do that is because, you know, Kristen and I, we signed up to do this. They didn't. They were just born into this. And I know sometimes it can be embarrassing when I say their name. So we said, hey, anytime I mention your name, you get $5. So I'm already out $20 on the day. <laughs> so this better be worth it. But he had a tag blanket. And how many of you know that, that thumb or that blanket, or that wubbanub, or binky, whatever you had, that is an incredible coping mechanism. It was it enabled you to have safety and security. Like, think about it. As adults, sometimes how hard it is for us to cope and manage. Think about just being, being a child, right? An infant or a toddler, their brain isn't even close to being developed. And so what this can be is a sense of security, a, a sense of, of safety, a sense of, a sense of comfort, However, Wade was quickly approaching the age where this, you know, went from being cute and, and beautiful to being a little gross. You know what I'm talking about? To where his mom and I had to lose it. Oh, where'd your blanket go? I don't know, it's gone. I don't, I don't even remember what age that was, but we lost it, right? And here it is, I found it. Um, because it, was, it went from beautiful to gross. And it was not only in the fact that it was probably the, the single most, you know, disgusting thing on the planet at the time because all that it had gone through, but it was also gross in the fact that he was a little too old to be carrying it around. And I was like, hey, Wade, you can't take that to school, buddy. That's not gonna go well for you. Third grade is gonna be brutal, you know, if you show up. <laughs> he got rid of it long before then, long before then. But something that was so maybe cute or cuddly once, right? That thing that was with you through thick and thin, that brought structure and security, that represents, you know, safety, that blanket, that thumb. Parents, you're with me. You, you know, you, you understand your thumb or whatever. It was at some point you get to a certain age and that, that cute thing and endearing thing goes from, from, goes from that to being gross. And the law 
was a gift from God for the nation of Israel because in the garden, this thing called sin entered into the picture. And humans were never created to have to cope with sin. That was never meant to be a part of the, the human experience, just so you know. So God, in his grace and in his mercy, gave the, the Israelites the Torah, the law, this incredible, you know, sacred thing, this big, massive thing in order to cope with this chaotic world that we are, are living in, to allow us to cope better. But as soon as Jesus comes, all of a sudden, here's the deal. You can't contain Jesus in the law. And you couldn't contain Jesus in the, the Torah. The Torah was established to point us to Jesus. Jesus did not come to repoint us back to the Torah. He said, I'm bringing something new. And so now all of a sudden, the, the Pharisees, as you can imagine, they are fired up mad about this because the Torah was this. It was a divine binky. It was a divine blanket in their life. It was something that was sacred. It was something that they held on to. It was something that brought them comfort. It was structure. It was a gift from God in a chaotic world. And here Jesus is coming in and he's saying, I know you're gonna be kicking and screaming about this. And I know you're not going to like this, but it's time to get rid of the blanket. It's time to move forward. And as you can imagine, they want nothing to do with it. So he gives them another analogy. Look at it, verse 37. He says, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. And again, they understood that. This is winemaking 101 in this culture. He says, otherwise, the new wine, which Jesus came to bring, will burst the old skins. The wine will run out, and the old skins will be, the old wineskins will be ruined, and no new wine, no new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Jesus is saying, hey, the old wineskins, that Torah, that law, that can't contain me. I'm too big. I'm too grand. I'm, I'm the full expression of God in the flesh. But the Torah was important, this sacred, beautiful document, but it was also just a tiny expression of who God was. And here they have God, right, in the form of, of Jesus, and Jesus is saying, hey, kids, it's time to get rid of that, that blanket because I want to give you a new degree of freedom that you never thought was possible. I, I want to lead you into a new you know, way to cope in this chaotic world. In fact, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. That's coming in a couple of weeks that, you know, we, to allow you to cope. And so the law is never going to be not, not anymore written you know, out this, this word. It's going to be written on your heart by the Holy Spirit living inside of you. He says, I'm going to be the fulfillment of this law. I didn't come to abolish it. That's what he says. I didn't come to abolish it. I didn't come to get rid of it. I came to be the fulfillment of it. I came to be your divine, you know, blanket. And a million times more than what it has been. In other words, I'm coming, and you're not going to understand all that I want to do. So I'm going to eat with people like Matthew and his friends. I'm gonna sit down with the woman at the well who's made bad decision after bad decision. After. I'm gonna sit down with the, the prostitutes and I'm gonna speak truth and grace into their, their life, right? You, I know that you don't like that. I know you've created systems to isolate yourself from that and from the people who you deem are not worthy, but how on earth can you reach and touch a broken world that you've isolated yourself from? That's not how I came. He says, I came to get involved in the brokenness and the chaos of this world. And I'm gonna offer everyone by my grace the ability to say if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And everybody needs to know there's a seat at the table of grace with their name on it. So he says, that's what I'm here for. Everyone qualifies. So no matter your past, no matter your, your mess that you've made of your life, even up until this moment, and so he says this, and no one, if you keep reading, after drinking old wine, they want the new wine. No one wants that. And all the wine enthusiasts said, amen. Watch yourselves. No one wants the new, and here's why. And again, he's really not, he's not talking about wine. He's talking about our human nature. Here's why. For they say the old is better. I'm comfortable with the old. Why, Colby? Can we just have a compassionate and honest moment? This world is extremely and profoundly chaotic, is it not? And again, I just imagine that's why some of you walk through these doors or that's why some of you even tuned in online. 
because you realize that fact. So our ability to not only cope in this world, but to thrive in it and to thrive in Christ relies on us being able to, to fully embrace Jesus and who he is. And he's trying to tell these Pharisees, listen, I'm here to offer you something so much better. I'm here to offer you a new degree of, of freedom and a new level, a dimension of freedom that you never thought was possible. And he's doing all these amazing things. So here's what they would say. They'd say, well, all right, we can't deny Jesus and we can't deny, you know what we've seen him do. So let's do this, let's compromise. All right, Jesus, here's the deal. You, you be the new wine, that's fine, but we're still gonna keep this. We're still gonna hold on to our blankie. We're still gonna keep our, our processes, our rules, our regulations, our structure. The Torah is our old wineskin. And Jesus goes, guys, it can't hold me. It doesn't work that way. And everybody knew what he was talking about because when you put new wine into an old wineskin, the new wine goes through a process and it starts to change and it starts to transform like we should be as well. And it starts to, it's called fermentation. You know what I'm talking about? And fermentation causes expansion. And so everyone knew if you put this new wine into this old wineskin that had already done its thing, that was stiff, you know, and, and all of that, and, and it started to change and expand, what's gonna happen? That wineskin's gonna explode. It's gonna rip, it's going to tear. And so now not only have you torn and ripped this beautiful, sacred, old wineskin that held some beautiful wine in it, but now you've also ruined the new wine. It's spilled all over the floor and it's good for nothing. And so he's saying, you can't have both. It doesn't work this way. If you're really gonna accept, he's saying a fuller degree and dimension of God, then you have to be willing to put down the old blanket, the old pacifier, and you have to be willing to receive something new. And the best analogy I've heard is the evolution of, of home movie watching. All, all the millennials, Gen Zers, or whatever, you guys can tune out for a second because you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. But back in the day, they invented this space-age piece of technology called a VCR. Anybody remember that? Come on, check it out. You remember the VCR? Like, you had to be ultra wealthy to own a VCR. Like, I only think the president and Bill Gates, they're the only ones that have VCRs. But it used to come in, you could rent a VCR. Does anybody remember actually renting a VCR? There were only these, like, a few video stores that were super shady, super seedy kinds of places. And you could go and show up, and they would give it to you in this suitcase-like thing. It was massive. You carry this thing, right? You, you put, brought it home and it came with all these rules attached to it, like plug this in here, screw this thing in here, turn your, your TV around. And you're like, you didn't even know you had this stuff on the back of your TV. And you turned it around and, and you were just, all the pressure that you felt to get it right so you could watch the movie. Otherwise, you know, if you connected the wrong thing, you'd probably just blow up the whole house and you know, the whole family would die. But you could watch movies at home. And so I remember doing this a couple of times with my, my dad. He would take us to this, I don't even know what it was, this little video store back in the sticks. I don't know. I was going to say something else. But it was just kind of, you know, we'd go and maybe hit the Powerball or the lottery so we could go a couple of times. I don't know. But we got it, and then we could pick out a movie. And I don't remember what the first movie that we watched on these was, but we could pick out a movie and we'd watch it Friday night and we'd get up Saturday and we'd watch it over and over and over again on Saturday morning before we had to take the thing back because they were crazy. But because of our capitalistic society and we realized how just awesome it was to watch movies at home, they started to streamline them. And so pretty soon everybody had VCRs. And because everybody started having VCRs, they came out with this piece of heaven called Blockbuster. Come on, somebody, you remember Blockbuster? <laughs> Blockbuster video. Do you remember like when Blockbuster came out and new releases would, would happen? I, don't, I forget what day it was on. I think it might've been on Tuesday, I'm not sure. But they would have like 20 to 30 of the new releases. And you wanted to make sure you got there before they were all gone. Does anybody remember that? Like what a sport that was, right? You gotta show up, where's the new releases? And then you, you know, otherwise you'd have to settle for your second pick. And so you're just walking up and down the aisles of Blockbuster, you know, looking, on both, anybody remember these days? Like I still do this on Netflix, just surfing, you know, just I'll spend 30 to 40 minutes, never watch anything, but you do that in Blockbuster. 
And Blockbuster had it figured out, man. They sold like movie candy there and it was cheaper and popcorn. And then you thought like, this is as good as it gets. Movies at home, VCR, videotapes. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're like, man, Jesus must be coming back. Jesus is like, psych, because I'm coming out with something new. The DVD player, check it out. And you're like, Mind blown. Like, you, this, the whole movie's on this thing, right? It's not on a tape anymore. You put it in this thing. And then when, when those started coming out, and they were expensive too, so half the people had those, half the people had, you know, VCR. So Blockbuster had both. You remember that? Like, one section for all the, you know, the rich people or whatever had the DVDs. The other section had the, anybody remember? I know I'm super old. You guys are like, man, I don't have a clue. Um, so they came out with that. And then you thought, all right, well, this is as good as it gets. But as soon as you start thinking that, right, the next thing came out was the Blu-ray. And so now it's like, you know, high definition and, and Dolby Digital surround sound. And you're like, man, this is, this is amazing. You could just, and then they moved all the discs over to Blu-ray and DVD. And you're just kind of, you thought, this is the height of technology. Jesus is coming back, you know, soon. And just about that time, you know, Netflix started changing the game of how we watch movies at home because Netflix thought, all right, listen, we can't have these future, you know, millennials out driving a car and they, they, they need to be at home attached to their phone. And so we can't have them do that. So we're going to just send movies to their house. And so you can get online on this thing called the World Wide Web. I don't know if you heard of it. And you can get on there and you can, you can sign up, we'll call it a queue, and put the next 10 movies that you want to see in a queue. And we'll just send them to you one at a time. Anybody do this? And it would be like, hey, you can watch it as long as you want to watch it. Watch it 10 times, watch it 50 times, and then send it back to us. And once you send it back to us, you know, and we get that back in the mail, we'll send you the next one. And we're like, this is, I don't even have to leave my house. The only thing I have to do is commit to a 90-foot walk from my front door to my mailbox, and that's it. But then Netflix, you know, also thought, well, we can't have the millennials actually walking 90 feet because then they'd have to go outside. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding with you guys. I love you. I love you. They're like, so here's what we'll do. You know, we'll just, we'll just now put it on your TV and there will be an app and you could pick up your remote controller, right, and just say Netflix and you could be watching like Rambo or Ghostbusters or, you know, what? I think that was the first movie I saw on VHS, like in, in 10 seconds. And I, I, I thought about that, and it seems like just about the time you feel cool and safe and that you've learned the system and the process, how many of you know there's a new thing right around the corner? And that's kind of the way it works. And this is God's MO in our life too. This is what God does in every season of our life. In fact, every decade that you are alive is going to be two things. You should know this, it's gonna be beautiful. Sometimes you might have to search for the beauty in it, but it's there, but it's also gonna be broken. Every single one of those systems and processes that I mentioned up there, they were both beautiful. That technology came out, it was amazing, but they were also broken. In fact, Blockbuster was beautiful, but it was also broken. You know how it was broken? Two words, late fees. Remember those? You remember thinking, oh, dear Lord, I better get this thing back in five minutes. And so you're breaking every law to see if, you know, you can rush back in time so that little 17-year-old behind the counter might show you some grace and you're thinking up your story and why it's late and all that kind of stuff because now all of a sudden your credit report is attached to, to Blockbuster and your movie being five minutes late. So it was broken. Like, you're like, your car could get repoed and all that kind of stuff. You see your friends moving out of their house and you're like, what happened? You're like, well, remember when I had you over a few weeks ago to watch Ghostbusters? You're like, yeah? Well, I just found Ghostbusters. <laughs> and you're like, did they take the house? They took the house. <laughs> Do you still have Ghostbusters? Yeah. Can I borrow it? No. All right, so. <laughs> Everything. And every season of life is going to be broken and it's going to be be beautiful. And this is what I want us to understand. And I know you're thinking, dear Lord, just read the Bible. I'm going to. <laughs> because some of you are super smart and you're thinking this, Colby, we just sang a song that says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is. 
And the, he- the writer uh, in Hebrews who wrote that, right, is dead on right, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. However, here's the rub. You are not. I am not. So while he's the same, and we understand that, we are not. And we should constantly be, be changing. And what that means is you and I are just tipping the iceberg in our understanding of how great and how glorious and the majesty of God. Like we don't, we can't even understand it all. And that might frustrate you, but it fires me up. Like I, for, I'm 47 years old. There, I said it out loud. I'm 47 and I know next to nothing. I'm not even kidding about the greatness and the majesty and the glory of the God that I serve. And that used to frustrate me. But can I tell you something? It just fires me up. Because I don't believe I've even scratched the surface of all the God. It used to frustrate me because, because you, you know, y'all expect me to know, you know, tons of stuff. And sometimes I'm like, I'm just learning this with you. I'm in a process with you. And God's going, look, I'm never changing, but you are. I'm never evolving, but I hope that you do that you become more and more like Christ. I wrote it this way. God's revelation of himself is finished. My understanding of God's revelation of himself is just getting started. God's story of redemption, God's story is is complete. In fact, John tells us that no one better take away or add to this prophecy or a curse be on him. It's complete, it's done. His story from Genesis to Revelation, my understanding, your understanding of God's story of redemption from Genesis to Revelation is just getting started. Like we've only begun to scratch the surface of this. But our understanding, and by the way, it's not just a knowledge thing. Like it's new growth, new wine, it's not just a matter of us increasing our intellect and having, you know, more and more book smarts. That's, that's a small piece of it. But the ultimate goal is this ever-increasing love, this ever-increasing understanding of God's goodness and his, his grace. When I say new wine, I'm not just saying, hey, we all need to just get smarter. We all just need to understand all the nuances of, of God and, and dive down into the, the depths, you know, of, of why he does what he does. Because, and there's a place for that, but God's word also says that knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And so it's love. And how many of you know it's, it's loving people better? It's loving yourself better. It's loving your, your enemies better, right? That's the, the goal, and that's what Jesus is bringing. He's bringing this grace that they can't even fathom. And the apostle Paul, which I, I believe is the, Greatest theologian ever walked the face of the earth. In 1 Corinthians 13, he says this, for now, like we now know in part. Like right now we know in part and we prophesy in part. Prophesy just means speaking on behalf of God through, you know, his word that he's already written. It's prophesy, it's what I'm doing right now and I'm doing it, you know, imperfectly. I'm doing it from a place of lack. I'm doing it the best that I can through the power of the Holy Spirit, but I'm doing it like with a lack of understanding and immatured and flawed. But he says right now, we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And then he says this, verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the childish things away. I put the blankie away. I put the thumb away. I put the the wubbin up down. Those things were good for a while and they help me get to a certain point. And they're still beautiful and love them and love the memories. I put away the, the ways of childhood behind me so that I could receive something new. And then he says this, and I believe this is a right now word for our church and right now word for our generation. It says, verse 12, for now we only see a reflection as in a mirror, but then, then is when we're in the presence of God, then we shall see God face to face. Now I only know in part when it comes to God, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And this might frustrate some of you. I wanna know, I wanna know then, I wanna know what I can know. And it might frustrate you, um, but I don't think it should frustrate you as much as it should free you. I think we should be overwhelmed by the awesomeness and greatness of God, not imprisoned by it, not set up all these these 
systems and processes, in my opinion, God is saying something so profoundly freeing. He's saying the goal of being a follower of Jesus, and I know that's not everybody here or everybody watching online, you're checking this thing out, but he says the goal of being a follower of Jesus or being a, a great church or whatever it is and doing honor to God's word isn't pretending like you got it all worked out isn't pretending like you know the processes and the ins and the outs and the nuances of God. The goal is to walk in humility and to hang here and to ground yourself in, in God's word and, and humbly understand that you don't know it all. However, here's what we're tempted to do. Come on, is this not true? We're tempted to go to a church or listen to a pastor who will simply just affirm what I already believe to be true. Come on, don't we do that? You tell me what I think is already true so I can be comfortable, so I can be, you know, okay with my system and the way that I already operate and how I check the box and, and how I do this and that. And this, we want safety and structure. And again, there's a time for that. There's a divine rhythm to everything. But as soon as safety and structure and systems, they cause you to miss Jesus like it did the Pharisees, then those things serve no purpose anymore. If you're missing Jesus, then, then you can have all the safety and structure in place and you've missed everything. Jesus came, he said, to change the status quo. He came to give us something new, introduce new wine and so many people miss it and they buy into the lie that the, the highest form of piety is getting to that place where I know it all, I figured it all out, right? And I'm safe and comfortable. And listen to me, followers of Jesus, you're going to live in an eternity of perpetual comfort and safety, but that's not the case now. So we need something more now. We need something new. And so here's what I'm getting at. God has endless seasons for you and me where he wants to bring new things and new wine into our, our lives. And it's not because he's changing, because he doesn't change, it's because we're changing. It's because now we know in part. But one day, right, and we, we prophesy in part. And it would be crazy for me at 47 years old to, to think that, okay, the extent of my relationship with God is just to, to know the processes and to know the structure and then with white knuckle obedience, do the best that I can and not screw it up. That's not a relationship. That's not what God wants from me. That's not vibrant. That's not growing. That's not exciting. Like I want it to be like my relationship with my wife where I want, you know, the last, you know, 24 years to be better than the, the first 12, Right? Where, where it was better in the last, in, in, at 10 years than it was at five years. Was it broken? Yeah. Like, show me a relationship that's not broken. Show me a marriage that's perfect. There's no such thing. But it was also beautiful at the same time. And so again, everything's gonna be broken and, and, and beautiful. And so God's saying, you know, you have the courage to allow some of those systems and structures and things that you're comfortable with be challenged and lay them on the altar and say, okay, God, I want the new one. Okay, God, I want the new thing that you want to do in and through my life that's causing me not to live in the fullness that you have for me. And God, just, just wreck me and show me what that is because I don't want to miss it. Because what, here's what ends up happening and why you have to make a choice. Um, not only will you ruin the old, the beautiful, the, the sacred, the, the, the old wine skin that, that, you know, carried with it all this beautiful wine, not only will you ruin that, but you will also ruin your chances to receive the new thing, the new wine that God wants to do in your life. And so I'm gonna have the band come out and help me close because I would argue that what Jesus is telling us, and here's what we're going to learn in the coming weeks. And I'm just, I'm super excited about this. He's telling us, I'm gonna give you something that you can lay this down and that you will actually be able to better adhere to the law and to the Torah and to the structure and the you know, processes that I've given you once you realize that I've already fulfilled those for you in your place. Because now you'll be able to do it and live for me this way as an offering of your life instead of as a demand. And how many of you know, us humans, we are, we are 
it's easier for us to, to give something freely than to, to give something when we're demanded to. And he's saying, I'm gonna give you the ability to do this and to follow me, not out of duty, not out of rules and regs, but out of this deep desire in your heart that I've given you to, to follow me. It's the, think about the joy that you get from, from giving an offering freely versus the joy that you get from paying bills monthly, right? There's no comparison. And that's what he's saying will, will happen, that God has something new for us. We desperately have to just want it and receive it. And I want that for everyone in our church. And I believe that's what he's gonna show us in the weeks ahead. But here's what else I've learned about human nature. And this is how I believe we need to close our time. Um, and I've learned this through my own failures mostly because I'm, I'm just as jacked up and if not more than a lot of you. But most of us won't miss out on the new thing that God wants to do in our life because we have malice in our heart or because we're Pharisees at heart or because you know, we just are horrible people. Most of us will miss out on it because there's still things in our life that we are not willing to let go of and to give up freely. And there's this powerful passage from the prophet Hosea who talks about this new wine kinds of principle in a different way. He says this to a very hard-hearted, idol-driven, rebellious culture at the time in the Israelites and God's word of redemption to them is this. And I, it, it was the, his word to them, you know, millennia ago. And I believe it's his word to us several thousand years later. In verse 10, it says this, sow righteousness for yourselves. And they gotta be thinking, why God? If we like our idols. We like our, we like our having our fun. And we like, we, we like this disobedience that we're experiencing. He says, sow righteousness for yourself so that you will reap what you really want. And here's what you really want. Here's what you were designed for, unfailing love. Isn't that what we really want in life? Like every single one of us in this room, like more than anything, don't you want to, this unfailing love? Don't you wanna be fully loved and fully known? all parts of you, the good, bad, the ugly. He says, so righteousness, you will reap what you really want, unfailing love. And then here's a language I love, break up. Somebody say, break up your unplowed ground for it is time. And I think right now, this is the time. It's time for you, it's time for me. It's time to seek the Lord until he comes and he showers his righteousness on you. God says, so righteousness, break up the unplowed ground. And he wants to, to, to have us reap the fruit of unfailing love, break up the unplowed ground. In other words, there are parts of your heart. See, the Israelites knew he wasn't just talking agriculturally. He knew he was talking about the rebellious hearts and that there is unplowed ground in your heart that's keeping you from being able to receive the seed, receive the new thing that God wants to do in your life. And so he says, you gotta break it up. And in fact, there are two different things that happen when you plow something. And I'm fully aware of what time it is, just so you're aware of it too. Um, but I do believe that God wants to do something in your heart today. There are two things that happen when you plow ground. The first is that it breaks up the hard top soil on top. You know, that soil that's been compacted over the years that nothing can penetrate through. It's just, this is the way I've always done it. And this is the way I live my life. And I'm not willing to change it. It's that hard soil that's on top, the top soil. But the second thing a plow does, once it breaks that up, it starts to, to rip up the weeds that are in the soil as well. Because did you know that weeds compete with the seeds for, for the showers of righteousness from God in our life? That's what weeds do. In fact, it's springtime. I think it's springtime in Erie. I'm not quite sure, honestly. And we're all gonna remember what weeds are. I was just out picking weeds yesterday. 
but weeds compete with the seeds of the new thing that God wants to do. So here's what God's saying in this verse. He's saying, you need to break up the unplowed ground of your heart so that he can distribute the seeds of the new thing that he wants to do in your life. And guess what? Some of you are super smart and super intellectual. You know way more about God's word than I even know. But I don't think that you're missing out on the new wine because you know more. I think you're missing out on it is because you have things that are in your life that are preventing that seed to grow. Because how many of you know if God scattered seeds on a hard heart, like something might stick, something might grow, but it's not gonna be nearly, it's not nearly gonna grow to the fullness and the completeness that God wants to have it grow in your life. And so I know some of you think, well, that makes sense to me, Colby, but when you say, you know, you know, plow the, my hard heart, what, what does that, that look like? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. There's this thing in God's word called repentance. And in fact, nothing moves forward in the kingdom of God apart from repentance. Repentance leads to refreshment and refreshing times in your life. And so I wrote down a few things that I think perhaps might connect with you on, on what we need to repent of because I think God just wants us to enter into a beautiful time of worship and repentance. I wrote down this, repentance is dealing with, with the weeds and letting God plow the, the heart in our life. Um, resentment, that's a weed. And talk about a weed that, that, that competes with the seeds of God in your, your life, resentment. Um, someone hurts you, you don't have the answers as to why. Your heart's been shaken. Maybe your heart's been hardened because of it. You're mad, you're, you're frustrated. How many of you know anger, its full manifestation of anger leads to resentment. Resentment is a weed that, that just will suck the life out of a seed of, of something new God wants to do. How about an offense? An offense, you know, offense is, is the brother to resentment. Someone offended you, someone hurts you and you're carrying around offense. And aren't you glad Jesus didn't carry an offense to the cross, but he went to the cross freely and gave his life for us. He, in fact, on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what is they're doing. He just didn't carry that. And then he asks us to use that, that type of, of, of forgiveness as fuel to forgive others. And some of you are carrying an offense. How about these? These are huge. I'll go through them quickly. Envy, jealousy, comparison. Those are all weeds that are competing with the seeds that God wants to put in your, your heart. Your heart is, is hard. Your heart is hard. Or, or how about wounds? How I many of you have wounds from maybe a father or from a mother or a sister or a church? Maybe you're wounded from a church. I hear people all the time. You know, they say, man, I was wounded at this place and so I came here, but hey, let's have some real talk. I know we've wounded people. People have trusted us and, and, and they've been wounded as well. So maybe you have some, some wounds in your life and an unhealed wound are, are weeds that will destroy a new seed. Or what about unbelief? I think about the prayer of Thomas. Some of you just simply have unbelief. You might just have to pray, God, you know, help me in my unbelief or unforgiveness. In fact, I think one of the highest forms of sacrilegion is unforgiveness. If you think about it, Jesus came so that all would be forgiven. And when we've been forgiven, but yet we withhold forgiveness to someone else, I'm not sure that there's anything like it. Um, how about unrighteousness? Good old fashioned disobedience. A lot of times we like to give pet names to the sin in our life, but maybe today you just call it what it is anger, lust, hatred, call it what it is. So whatever it is today, let's do this. Would you just stand to your feet and bow your heads? And again, not rushing off because I think this is a holy moment. We're gonna sing a song together and we're going to repent. And as we're standing right now, maybe some of you need to take another step and engage even more in this moment. And I'm gonna have some of our prayer team, in fact, come down and they're just gonna stand along the front. You guys can come down right now. But the word of God says that as we pray, you know, with one another and we 
we confess to one another, then we're healed. And I do believe that some of you would leave here lighter than when you walked in as you just repent to God. Again, this is how we move forward in God's kingdom. This is how we prepare our heart to receive something new that he has for our life. So would you bow your heads, God? In this moment right now, I pray that you would, through your spirit, convict us. If it's bitterness, if it's anger, if it's a wound, if it's an offense, whatever it is, God, would you now break up the unplowed ground of our heart God, would you prepare us to receive the new seed that you wanna pour into our lives, the, the new wine, God, so that we can grow to be the, the fullest that you've called us to be. Jesus said, I've came to give you life, but not just life, life to the full. And so God, that's what we want, that's what we're after, and we know that it begins with releasing some things that are keeping us from accepting what you have for us. So Holy Spirit, right now be our teacher, be our guide. Convict us, God, where we need it. In Jesus' name. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. And we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it. So please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There'll be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com slash give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.